You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or even game design. Joining Roger from Wow Dogs, and For the Lore is Joe, writer for World of Maticus, and Enrique of Spooncraft. Hello and welcome to For the Lore. This is Roger coming to you on Monday, the 16th of November. And with me, same as usual, I've got Joe from World of Maticus as well as with Totem and Mr. Spooncraft himself, Enrique. How's it going, boys? I'm doing we're fantastic. Like, we're like waiting. Who's going to first? God, it's not like we just started this yesterday. <laughs> from now on, Joe goes first. Okay, so anyways, you guys had a good week? I have a fantastic week. I'm walking on air this time. I've had a very good weekend. And you're not going to Vegas. You, were you even excited thinking that it was in Vegas? Uh, you know what, that. man? If it, was, if it was not in the Anaheim Convention Center, it was across the street, just so it was closer to the East Coast, I would be excited. So for anybody who was not following the uh, the news it, it, for a little bit there, what, maybe even just a couple of hours, there was talk that BlizzCon 2010 was going to be in Vegas. And it was quickly corrected and made clear that, no, they screwed up. It is not going to be in Vegas. But a lot of people were thinking that would be a fantastic place for BlizzCon 2010. Now, I have been to Vegas. However, I haven't been to Vegas in quite a few years. I think it's been like 17 years since I've been to Vegas. So it's been quite a while. Um and I gotta say honestly, I was never a big I wasn't a big fan back then. I, I know that it's changed a lot now, so it's not quite the same. But really, I wasn't that thrilled with it back then. Granted I lost a lot of money too, so <laughs> that didn't help with my opinion of it. But no, it's um I I think that there's a lot of places that could be better than Vegas for BlizzCon. Yes, it's big and it's shiny, like Kiki says, but um, I don't know. I think that they need some place where there's a lot less distractions, less chance of you being late to where you're going because you got drunk and there's a hooker that you know tied you to your bed. Miami Beach. <laughs> you just want it close to you, dude. That's why. Although if it was, I would do it. I would actually go and sleep on your couch. That's what I would do. I don't think you want to subject his daughters to that. No, no, no. That's the best part, man. You're fucked. I don't have a couch. I'm too damn poor to have a goddamn couch. We have a a chair. Kick their kid out of her crib and sleep in that. (laughs) Put you in a toddler bed, yeah. But anyways, yeah, no, so it's not going to be in Vegas, as who the hell knows where it's going to be, but uh, but not Vegas. Um, I uh, This week is also the free Lord of the Rings Online week. If you, are, if you haven't tried it and you wanted to give it a shot, well, you can try to give it a shot. I did, in fact, try to download it. I did download it. I downloaded the whole goddamn thing and then got a runtime error after I was done. We're talking about quite a few gigs of data here, and there was at no point any errors in terms of disconnects or anything like that. She went through fine. I didn't do the streaming install that they do. I did the other install, and I'm thinking that's where part of the problem occurred, and sure enough, yeah, I got the fucking runtime error, so I still did not get a chance to try Lord of the Rings Online. All in all, probably not a bad thing, however, because Dragon's... Dragon Age Origins has pretty much taken over my life right now. In terms of gaming, that's it. I'm barely playing anything else right now. It's all Dragon Age. And I know that you've been playing as well, Joe. I don't know if you're playing a lot of other stuff too or if it's just been this as well. 
it's pretty much been Dragon Age and WoW, and that's pretty much it. Everything else is on the shelf currently. I'm addicted to Dragon Age. The game is so bloody wonderful. I I think what's cool too is that it was it's such a change from Borderlands, which I played the shit out of when that came out, and so and then here's this other RPG that is that truly is an RPG. I mean, you you can sit down for a freaking half hour and never actually have a moment where you're you're traditional playing moving around you're just going through um cinematics one after another making your choices and going from there and it's definitely not a game that's for everybody but it is if you are into story driven games holy crap and hell it's absolutely amazing i am floored by how big essentially the game is because even though it's a lot of people are talking about they're they're already going through their second play through the game and and things like that it's everything you do affects your storyline so you can play a 10 times and every single time it's different and that makes me very happy like i'm playing through right now in hard mode and oh my god hard mode is fucking hard Hard is hard 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 is freaking hard i when i but it's good oh yeah but i mean there's a there's limits like i did the my first character was actually um a little elf ranger chick and i decided again it's just the first one so i'm just going to put her on easy just to get a feel for everything and 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 the 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 ui and again get a feel for the game and it was way too easy. And so then when I made my um, human warrior, I made him hard. I figured, okay, well, let's let's see what hard is. Hard is hard. Hard is really freaking hard. And so when I made, I decided again, the same as usual. I like trying all the classes and get a feel for it before I, I settle on one. And I made a human mage again. And I put her on normal. And I find that's a good blend. I find at times it's a little too easy however there are some fights even on normal where you are i gotta do that goddamn fight six times before i get the goddamn Mm -hmm. thing right and i'm playing her as a kind of a crowd control healer as well so uh, i'm i'm healing our group essentially which i really love this because i'm in charge of all the characters and everything they do but uh but even as that like i mean i'm really finding that it's bloody freaking hard at times. And so I haven't gone back to work on my warrior who's on hard, and I'm not going to because I really, I don't want to. Hard scares See, me. me. Hard is scary, <laughs> but I love the uh, the satisfaction. Like, uh, okay, remember, and uh, this might be a bit of a spoiler for anybody who hasn't played the game, so, you know, kind of duck and, and run if you need to. But uh, the, f- the first tower... The, the first real like you know quote dungeon that i got to as a dwarf and i'm sitting there it took me eight nine times on a hard to get through it like i'd get through the first floor go up to the second floor die get through the second floor die and it, it just took so long and then when i was done i was just like ah this big sigh of relief and then saved the game immediately because i knew i was going to die as soon as i walked outside of it but i mean it's it's awesome it's it's awesome to have that sort of I don't want to say fear of a game, but, you know, I, Dragon Age really does something that I used to worry about with Baldur's Gate. If I did something really fucking horribly wrong, I paid the price by dying, and it would cost me, you know, time and, and effort and, you know, magic items that I might have found and things like that. And it's nice to have that sort of 
consequence again because that's one of the things I missed about gaming. Gaming became too easy for a while. It was awesome. Well, and I, I'm finding that there are consequences. See, I'm saving all the bloody time, and that's one of the things that I'm finding to be a problem with the game is the saving because I personally don't want to. I I'm I'm all for consequences. However. I don't like wasting my time. And again, because we're, we're all in the same boat here. We work. I, I got a family and everything. I don't want to waste my time having to play the same content that took me a half hour to do. I want to, I want to progress through the game, and I do want it to be challenging and difficult, and I want consequences in terms of within the game. If I do this, it's going to have a consequence in how the game then reacts to me. So I'm saving all the time. I wish the game saved for you up till a fight, say. And then if you fail the fight you start back to just before the fight so you can try it again because that i don't mind some of them I'm, I'm not kidding some of the fights i've tried them like today even i was playing and those goddamn freaking what are they remnants or the whatever dudes when you you move the gravestone and they come out at you and they're really not nice people and these guys here like fuck one of the fights i did it like eight nine times if not longer and i just couldn't get it and it was the last one where it was finally okay this is i'm gonna try something completely different and sure enough it worked and from now on whenever i'm taking those goddamn bastards revenants that's right kiki those bastards i hate them and so i'm i'm actually because i'm a human i mean i've my storyline where i've been progressing i'm i'm at the point now where i'm hunting the the werewolf for the um the 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 dalish elves so i'm mm -hmm. in that tower right now which has the little mage artifacts as well that you find which then brings out those freaking revenants again to to come and basically and those guys don't even oil up they don't lube they don't they don't even spit on it it hurts it's not fun and so it takes me like eight or nine times and but i finally got the bastards so I, I, that's one of the things where, because of that, I'm saving all the goddamn time so that I'm not wasting time. And, and, and I can understand that, and that is a bit of a gripe with certain games like that. I think there should be more autosave points, especially when it, the game... I mean, the developers know when a game... They know when certain fights are going to be, you know, ridiculous and probably take you a couple times to beat. I mean, they play their games when they're done. I mean, we heard this from guys like, you know, our Runic crew. Um, they definitely no so i'm i'm a little surprised that they didn't do a little more auto saving but it doesn't bother me as much because i just find myself constantly tapping the quick save button uh which takes two seconds and having played dozens upon dozens upon dozens of these games where you had to do that it's just kind of second nature for me so i guess i don't really notice it as as acutely as you do uh just simply because i guess i'm conditioned to it well see i do have that too because well i did that all the time with half-life 2 like i mean i was saving all the goddamn mm -hmm. time and so it's something that i'm used to it's just i think i've gotten out of the habit because of um just playing MMOs, you get out of the habit, and then you're not doing the saves all the time. So, so it is something that I notice. It's it's something that I I'm because I'm more aware of it now. It's not as huge a deal, but I did lose quite a bit of time there, where it's like ah, damn it. One of the nice things about it is that yes, there are consequences, but if you kind of want to peek behind the curtain every once in a while and see, well, what would happen if I do this? You have that option. Just do a save, then try something, and then if it's not what you expected, go back to your old save, which I don't do often, but every once in a while I'm sitting there thinking, 
oh, I wonder what, what happened. <laughs> Let's try. <laughs> Why not? And it's kind of cool to see the, the the different things. Like right now, the old Dale shelves, they'd be a little bit miffed with me because I tried to open a chest and that bitch was like, don't touch that chest, man. And I was like, but he said I could have gear. And I was like, no, don't touch. I went, fine. So I waited till she walked away and then I tried again. <laughs> and it was like, you've dishonored this and that. And I was like, God damn it chick just give me my freaking armor but uh so when i figured out what i'd done wrong i kind of went back a couple of saves <laughs> but uh yeah and, and that's one of the things I do like about the game, too, is the ability to try really wacky, stupid shit, and it either works or it doesn't. Um, it feels a lot like playing uh, pen and paper D&D back in the day when I used to, you know, sit in my friend's basement and we used to play. Like, it was just, we would do random shit like that with, like, you know, pestering the NPCs, and it makes me happy that I can do stuff like that in the game. Oh, yeah. It's like, I can really, like, you know, stick it to the NPC if I really feel like it, or I can be a complete asshole, and it's awesome. Well, see, that's the thing that I'm finding now too is like the the first elf that i made the intention was i'm going to make her fit into the lore wherein she does not like the humans because of everything that the humans have done to the the elves um and so she's a little bit more rigid in how she approaches the humans and whatnot so i'm taking those choices as they were being presented with the human I was trying not to be a badass as well because fitting into the Templar role kind of thing. And then with this mage, it's much more of a trying to be a good person. But I really just want to make this badass character. For a while, I thought I'd make it a, a, an assassin. But after having Zev in my team for a little while, he's like this little freaking bitch that breaks like he's made of kindling. So I really am not impressed with that. So I'm thinking maybe another human but and a mage, but I'll make it like a blood mage. Just this crazy insane and take all the darkest choices as they come up and see how that progresses the story and just make them as badass like to the point where like morgan would look at him and say dude what you just there did there like that was wrong that was <laughs> i want him that bad and just see where the story how just how wide an arc it is based on your choices and that's really the draw of the game if for nothing else or if somebody like me is just everything i do i can play entirely differently between different characters and and my storyline will always be different i love moral consequence systems i absolutely adore them and i think it's great that we saw it in a game as polished as dragon age origins and uh you can already tell that it's starting to get a very big following among gamers and uh, i don't know if you want to talk about this now but i'm going to bring it up anyway because it's, it's something we need to dragon age origins is already putting on a pen and paper game and i mean and that's something big because you don't really see that. Pen and paper gamers tend to be a little more elitist when it comes to what they accept into their world. I mean, the Warcraft World of Warcraft RPG was pretty much dismissed as just, you know, flotsam. But, I mean, this is being embraced. If you, if you troll, like, the forums and you troll, like... Um, it, basically any sort of discussion about Dragon Age when it comes up with the RPG, people are like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to get it on pen and paper. And it's nice to be able to see something that will trans transition between the two but so. it's more than that i mean if you look at the the lead writer for the game david uh what is it david gator he mm -hmm. is a full-time dungeon master so he's the yes. guy who wrote that he was the main writer for dragon age origins so it fits and i mean once you know that once you start looking at the game not just in terms of the um not in terms of the gameplay but also just 
following the story and how the yes the choices do have an impact and following how um within the dungeons every little aspect nuance of the game you can easily see translated to a pen and paper format kind of thing and then especially when you're looking at the tactics behind the game which there's going to be a fairly i'm hoping good (laughs) uh recorded (laughs) segment later on that i'm going to do that's going to be part of the features and is going to be on dragon age georgian so a lot of the stuff that we're discussing if you're not familiar with the game or haven't read up on you'll be able to listen to it later where i talk about how the game plays and whatnot just a very basic primer for it though is it's it's a very rich RPG game that has many cinematics. You're not reading quests like you do in most MMOs. It's the characters are speaking. You are interacting with the characters. And we're seeing a lot of what we're going to be seeing in Star Wars, the Old Republic. Yes. So your characters are speaking Well, you're not speaking, but you have the choices then based on what is being presented to you. And it's a very wide there's a lot of choices. I mean, I in some situations, I would have liked to have seen more, but I'm certainly not complaining. And then that then has an impact on where you're going to proceed from there, what quest lines are going to come up, how your team is going to react to you, and how your team would like you as well. So when I have people who are asking me, is Dragon Age Origins for me? I like playing you know, RPGs and MMO. I kind of ask them a lot more questions based on what their interests are, because it's not like... A traditional MMO. You can't even compare this to a game, an RPG like, say, Oblivion or Morrowind, even, because it's not. A lot of the times you're literally sitting down, engrossed by this story, watching it being played out in front of you, and then making your choices that progress from there. You could sit down for 10, 15 minutes and not move your character, just be interacting with even perhaps the same character on screen. And then you have your options of when you're then moving around and doing things in the traditional MMO fashion of RPG, kind of moving your character around. You have your team with you that you choose who you want to be with you. But then your fighting is way different you're fighting because you have a team with you you are it's a much more tactics based game almost wherein you're choosing who goes where who fights who what spells they use and basically picture a wow instance run where you are every single character and you have the ability that if you click on the tank the tank's ui shows up and all their spells on the bottom and you can decide when they drink a potion when they do whatever and the same for each character you can swap out their weapons and have your assassin stand back because he's squishy and just shoot arrows so you 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 have a very different experience in this game than you would in like i mean any game right now and they're talking about how this may have an impact or not may how how this has an impact as well on games like again star wars because it's all falling under the same umbrella right now the old republic a lot of what we're seeing here we've kind of seen glimpses of in the um the the videos for the old republic so it's kind of interesting to see there's some that i'm i'm hoping they will not do because it certainly would slow down an mmo but it's going to be very interesting to see like just how much may be in there i don't know if you that's something you've been thinking about whenever you're playing as well joe well i have and and you bring up a very interesting point of what exactly is going sorry for the technical difficulties everyone including rick very sorry 
my heartfelt apologies for putting you through that it was absolutely terrible but if we can maybe move on and heal that would be fantastic i can try i'm sending the bill all right all right yeah, the bill is dry cleaning your shorts. Dude, I wish I would have gotten that, but Sammy, I'm very sorry we did not get that 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 flatulence on on Enrique's part. So well so. Yeah. Anyways, back to again, you just shut up. You weren't talking anyways. Joe and I were having an intelligent discussion. And um back to the uh the Dragon Age origins and whatnot. Hold on one second here. Well, see for fuck's sakes. I don't even remember what the hell we were talking about now, dude. We were talking about carry, what was going what we were going to see carry over from Dragon that's Age right into Star Wars. Okay, so yeah, I, I again, it's something that I am noticing a lot. Where, um, when I'm playing, I'm I'm a conscious effort wondering like, is this the kind of thing that we can expect when we're there? And again, it's not. I don't know if that's something that you've thought about as well while you're playing. Well, and, and I did, and I have, and it, it's interesting to see what we have currently in Dragon Age and what Bioware is going to carry over into Star Wars. But the more I think about it, the more that I can only really see them bring over the moral system um, just based on the different genres. I mean, it's it's real easy to bring um, – to have that level of control over your entire party in a single-player game. Uh, but even in an MMO, like if you're going to have NPCs that party up with you, which obviously at some point there's going to be, there's going to be an escort or whatever – um, they're not going to be able to give you that much control because it's all going to be about your character and interacting with it as your avatar. Um, so I don't think we're going to see a lot of the system itself be brought over. The moral system, definitely. The conversation between the, the characters, absolutely. Um, but I think that's going to be about it. I think that's going to be where it ends. And I think that's good because you don't want to trash the, the MMO by trying to make it too much like a standalone RPG. And you don't want to trash the RPG by making it too much like an MMO. So I think Bioware, if any, if, if no other company in the world, would be able to walk that line proudly and have those games on opposite ends of the fence. So. Well, part of that, too, is that they've got different teams that are working on both of them. So you've got a different team that's working on Dragon Age Origins as opposed to the team that's working on Star Wars The Old Republic right now. Uh, Mike Laidlaw, who's the lead designer on the game, was saying just as much uh, during an interview. So they are very different teams. However, they are being influenced by each other. And the team that is working on um, Dragon Age Origins is not going to be shifted over to... Uh, Star Wars The Old Republic now that Dragon Age Origins is out because they are looking at a two-year plan in terms of DLC content over that time. And I think that they have a very strong, very interesting IP with, with Dragon Age Origins. I mean, not only with just the downloadable content that we're going to be having, but the stories that they've already created for the game. Um, I don't know if you know this, but there are two novels already out for it. Yeah. Um, written by David Gator, um, who is the, the basically the, the head honcho for uh, Dragon Age Origins project. And those I'm going to be, I just picked them up recently and I'm going to be reading them. <laughs> um, but there's just a wealth of, of lore and story in this world. And this world can be as large or as little as they want. They do have complete control over it because it is its own IP. And I'm excited. I'm excited for it to see what they're going to have in those, the two years um, I want to see what their downloadable content is going to be. And I can't wait to see player-made content, which I think is going to wind up happening with this game as well. Yeah, 
Yeah, because of the editor. I'm really excited for the DLC as well because I want to see whether or not it will be as integrated into the story as the DLC that came out with the introduction of the game. I don't know if you got the Stone Prisoner as well as the Warden Keep DLC. I do have, I do have both. So what I found was that, again, and it could just be simply because the, the that DLC was set up to be released at the time of the game launch so because of that it's quite obvious that it is very integrated but it's it's i find it very integrated i mean to the point where when you're looking at your your golem for the stone prisoner dlc i mean that character is firmly entrenched in the lore in the 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 backstory when you are doing certain quests um like when you're doing andraste's ashes the guardian is speaking directly to shale and giving him certain um like talking about what he may regret or how he feels same as he as he does with all the other characters so you don't feel like your golem is separate from your team it's completely integrated which again yes that's partially because it was set to launch at the launch of the game so of course it's going to be it was in there but that then makes you wonder what the other dlc which they've quite obviously planned this all out how much integration the other dlc will have in the game as well well, and and I think we're going to see a lot of it because I think they know, um, if nothing else, Bioware knows when you have something good, you keep it going and you keep it going strong. So I think we'll see the stories being very intricately, you know, very integrated with the characters in the world itself. So I'm incredibly excited. I can't wait. And it's one of the games that I will download everything that comes out for DLC more than likely. Oh, without a doubt. I, I, I know, like, I, the... Had I not done the pre-order for the uh, the game and gotten the other stuff, I definitely would have picked it up. I found that the quests for the Warden Keep were very interesting. I found the the um, the game the, the 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 whole setting there very. It was fun, and it's not it it wasn't something that was too difficult. Although the boss battles certainly were hard, and I had to do them several times to get them right. Um, but it it took me several hours to go through and do everything I had to do. To me, you got your money's worth. And then the thing that I'm noticing as well, same as with the golem. The golem didn't take nearly as long. However, he becomes something that is then part of your team if you want him. And so he's a very... Like, you're getting your money's worth because you're using that character over time. So in that regard, it is certainly going to be worth your money if you are if i mean if it's just going to be something where you just want to be able to do those quests and then be done with it and you don't really intend on using the character then no it won't be worthwhile but if you're going to use that character as part of your team you are more than getting your money's worth because he's always there you're always using him you're leveling him up and it's fantastic and it and because of the type of character it is it is way different than any of the other characters and even though you can use him as a tank you can also go the other warrior route so that you can still use your alistar as the main templar tank but use this guy as a berserker or whatever kind of thing and it's kind of interesting because then you have the different items that he wears the the crystals that you can equip him with and whatnot so it's completely different you don't have to worry that you know a piece of armor that you got that would be great for alistar star that okay well who's it gonna go to then yeah give it to alistar anyways and then your 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 golem's gonna get something else it's different enough and yet so well integrated into the backstory that it is very much worth the money 
I concur. I concur. I don't think I can give this game enough praise for what it's done so far. I really don't. Yeah, and I am looking forward to the DLC as well, or not the DLC, sorry, the uh, the pen and paper. It's going to be fun to try to see um, just how much of the game they've put in as well and how much freedom you have with your own imagination to do different things as well. So moving on from that, we're going to actually touch then on Star Wars The Old Republic and, uh, and because they did make the announcement of the Imperial Agent being added to the crew. Okay, Enrique, you can come back. Stop chatting in the chat room. You can come back and talk now, dude. Oh, okay. Cool. Hi. All right. Because <laughs> I know you're following this as well, although I don't know if you're following it quite as much as we have. But uh, we were talking about oh, it so. earlier a little bit there too. The um, the 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 thing that they're talking about too with people that are complaining about the PvP balance with the characters that they're trying to do it's kind of funny when you're seeing the classes being announced over time and you're seeing how they're trying to balance the so that it's similar classes on both sides. However, um, the Imperial Agent looks pretty badass. Um, I kind of think they're doing the Imperial Agent, he's using the same cover system that um, the Smuggler uses, right? Kind of, but he can bring his own. He can drop yeah. a shield kind of like a soldier in Borderlands. So right now, basically, they just, as far as from a gameplay perspective, they made playing as the Empire, the Sith, or whatnot, infinitely better than it is as playing the, you know, the the, the Republic or whatnot. Because right now, the only reason that I would have seen the Sith, you know, seen the uh, the Imperial Agent, the only reason I ever have to roll a smuggler is just, you know, for my own lore or, or you know, role-playing, you know, what needs or whatever the hell is that's the only real reason just to to basically play as a han solo thing but there is no advantage i mean come on brings his own cover drops in orbital lasers and missiles and crap that can land beyond you know behind cover he can stun like the uh like the bounty hunter can he's got everything you know he's got the aim sniper shot business that the smugglers got that class has a lot going on for it and the fact that from all the descriptions saying oh he's all stealthy and whatnot so you have a stealth class that can bring its own cover, can call an orbital bombardment, and can one-shot kill other NPCs and possibly players. Uh, that's a little too much, man. That's a little way too much. But it is going to give people a reason to play a class other than a Sith or a Jedi, which is what I've been noticing. When I saw the videos, um, especially as well for the PAX video, when you're looking at the smuggler video, you're thinking, you know, one of the special abilities is kicking a guy in the balls. As cute as that is, really? That's your special ability? No, no, dude. I want something a lot better than that. Lasers from the freaking satellites? That's that's what <laughs> yeah yeah deal with that solo solo while you're kicks kicking someone in the balls there's a freaking lasers coming from the sky that's gonna kill everybody that's what I want to see because again there's not much reason to play a class other than a Jedi or a Sith if that's all you're getting is a kick to the balls pretty much man I don't know um I've I've watched the video I've been following the game for kind of a while now and I would have to sit down and look at it. And actually play it on my monitor because all the videos in the world and all the screenshots and all I keep seeing when I look at it is uh, Nice of the Old Republic but with a multiplayer kind of aspect, you know. And I'm, I'm excited for it. All the things they're telling me is pretty awesome. And the fact that they, you know, touched on the four, you know, four things that MMOs need to work, you know, like story, you know, combat, exploration, and so on and so forth. You know, this seems like they can deliver it. Bioware is an amazing company, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm reserved. 
Okay. Well, we'll move on from there and do the uh, touch on the uh, Star Trek Online as well because they had some announcements as well. They do. They they were initially saying that you wouldn't be able to do too much within your ship when the game actually launches, which for those who don't remember, February second of two thousand ten, um, that is coming up very very soon. People are afraid that the game may not be ready by then, but they're saying that it should be the uh it was announced that you will actually be able to go on the bridges of your ship which is actually fairly huge and not just that you'll be able to then have people on your ship from like other players they haven't opened up say the officers quarters yet but they are talking about doing that as well later on there's a lot going on with this there was a good question and answer that was on uh, massively.com where they talked to the devs and it was fairly interesting to hear some of what's going on with with that game and how certain things fall into concepts that you see in traditional MMO design just they kind of changed it a little bit to fit into this as an example the klingon bird of prey is going to be your your cloaking kind of rogue character that you can play um and so you're going to see, I'm sure, quite a few people choosing that route because the Federation's not going to have any cloaking ships. But it's fairly interesting to see the, the the dynamics of your ships and which ships they're introducing based on which series and and whatever else. I was actually really impressed that they were they went around and decided to put in uh, bridges, and I don't think a lot of people realize exactly how huge that is um, because essentially at that point they're designing. Uh, three different games to wrap into one. You have your ship-to-ship combat. You have your away team that you know will go planet side and do the outside of the ship missions. But then you also add in a uh, lack of a better term, an RTS feature almost, uh, because the bridge is the nerve center. So, and in like Kiki says in the chat channel, what is Star Trek without bridges? They felt that it was a huge hole that needed to be filled, and I'm happy that they filled it because if you're going to play this game, I mean, half the time you just want to be Captain Kirk with your, you know, leg up over the arm and just, you know, looking like a fucking Billy badass, and you, you, you need your your chair, you need your command center, and I'm I'm happy to see that they put it in, and I want to see exactly how much control uh, and micromanagement they're going to allow from the bridge, considering that's where all your your A class officers are going to be. So I'm excited. I'm really excited to to, to see the development of the game. And yes, uh, it may result in the game being pushed back, but I'd rather the game get pushed back and be absolutely awesome than you know have it falter and die. Well, as well, it's got to be something we're in. You need that just to be able to have much more of a community feel so that you are interacting with other players. Otherwise, are you only going to be able to interact with other players through a calm way where you're talking to each other or through a only when you're on the planet or when you're in specific areas? You should have it so that same as in a traditional MMO where you bump into somebody in wherever you are, you can discuss, talk or whatever. So if you meet up with another Federation or another Klingon if you're both Klingon then you can bounce onto one of the other deck whatever and just kind of shoot the breeze or whatever plan from there if you want to do something if it's going to be as open as say something like your EVE Online where you can plan things together from there 
again going back to the traditional MMO design of hey you want to group up group up and kill these 10 rats kind of things you group up you meet on the deck you talk whatever or on the bridge and then go from there so I'm um, I'm interested to see just how much of that they're going to be able to incorporate at launch as well as what they're planning to from then on so moving on from there, uh, this week was interesting because the um, a lot of the, the 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 time, if you weren't playing Dragon Age Online for the most part, you were playing Call of Duty, the Modern Warfare 2, which I know that Sammy played the shit out of, and he's actually going to have a nice little feature for us later to listen to. Um, but we're looking at seven million in sales on that game alone, even though there were huge problems with the PC release with the servers. It still is doing very very well oh i got something to say about that it made me laugh have you noticed on steam uh, there's been a lot of images floating around you know how yeah. everybody was saying oh we're gonna boycott the game <laughs> and it's like two days later it's the number one played game at all and like even the people who made the group you know made the steam group of you know boycott modern warfare 2 and almost every single one of them is playing modern warfare 2 yeah, and that I saw that picture, and it made me laugh so hard. My boss actually had to come out of his office and find out why I was dying. Did you tell him? Yeah, he actually thought I called in because I was sick uh, Tuesday through Thursday. Like, honest to God, sick. He actually thought I called in to play Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't pick it up. This is one of the ones on your list, though, isn't it, Rick? Um, yes and no. I mean, I'm going to get it for the 360, and I have to first buy a 360, right? But, um... (laughs) You see, you see, when you were away, me and Joe were talking about budgeting, right? We are talking about how to budget gaming in this this fall. Like, you guys are going off about Dragon Age Origins, and that's really piqued my interest. I want to try that, but, you know, more than anything, I really wanted to check out Modern Warfare 2, because I played Modern Warfare 1 pretty extensively, and I love the story of it. It's a very, very cool game. And people are giving me kind of mixed reviews. Like, I got a buddy of mine saying that the end of Modern Warfare 2 was kind of, you know, lacking. And then I got people like Samuel one that are saying it's the second coming of Christ. And, you know, my friggin' loins exploded when the game ended. And then, you know, I, it's just, I don't know, I'm dying to check it out. I really would like to check it out. It's making way too much money to not be buy-worthy. Yeah, I'd like to try it, but see, I have the first one on the PS3, and I played through it and all that, but I still am much more of a keyboard and mouse first person shooter kind of guy i Likewise. i don't enjoy it quite as much on the consoles so and knowing the hassles right now that's going on with the cons or the the pc versions i'm really not in a huge rush to to buy it for the pc and i'm in the same exact boat because i want to have it for the pc um i want my keyboard and mouse if i'm going to play anything remotely resembling a first-person shooter um and i'm a little concerned with all the pc release problems so i'm kind of waiting and uh i'm i'm kind of waiting for that to see how everything gets fixed before i even consider buying it there's actually um a blog that a couple of friends of mine started that it's just all about pc gamers and they're constantly conspiracy theorying about how you know all these gaming companies are kind of trying to kill pc gaming in general and they're making all these great you know, great lore games, great RPG games, great first-person shooters, you name it, and they're doing it all for consoles and then porting it over to the PC. You know, like Borderlands would be a perfect example. It's it's a blatant port to the PC, and Modern Warfare 2 is obviously having palms with the PC, and there's just a lot of stuff out there, even Assassin's Creed 2. I mean, I would rather play a platformer with a gamepad, 
but just like you guys said, I want to play a first-person shooter with my mouse and keyboard. And I'm getting my I'm getting my first-person shooter fix from Left 4 Dead 2. Yeah, I'm, uh, that's another thing I'm really looking forward to. Rapidly approaching. Oh, tomorrow, and I've got so much to yeah. say on that. I wish we were talking about it. <laughs> well, we will be actually. The it, it is something that we'll be covering next week for sure. Um, yeah. It is actually one of the ones that I do want to pick up, but I'm still not in a huge rush. However, I have a feeling that I'm going to hear so much about it that I won't have a choice. <laughs> and I'll have to pick the goddamn thing up. That being said, as well, though, I'm still I'm still so hooked into Dragon Age Origins, and I still have so much to do. And that's before even considering an alt. I uh, like I mean, there's Dragon Age Origin has got so much shit going on in it. I'm at a point where I'm I'm looking at okay, like I've I've put in hours into this freaking game and that's not even taken into consideration the alts and whatnot i've put in hours into my little mage and i'm thinking i've only just gotten to the to the elves and i haven't even killed the goddamn werewolf yet um, and then i gotta go see the dwarfs i gotta go to the circle of magi and then I'm not done from there. And that's not even taken into consideration all of the side quests that I even I, I haven't even bothered with or whatever. Like there's so much that I haven't done. So when I'm looking at like Left 4 Dead 2 and I'm thinking, I really want to play it, but it's like I, I, I can see how I'll be busy enough for a little while still with Dragon Age. That that's fine. Rick and I will be uh shooting zombies and we'll be giggling Aww, about it. Oh see, that's just gonna make oh. me wanna play. Have, have you played the first one, Roger? Oh yeah, I played through the. I I love I love Left 4 Dead. Love love okay. love. Good good cool. So no, right. that's that's one of the things that actually, um, when I was first setting up for the lore, I was saying how again it's a first it's a, a game that or a site, and the podcast is going to be about story driven games that don't often include first person shooters however there are occurrences like and i would say left for dead where there is a story and it is something that you can feel for the characters and whatever so yeah no i love the left for dead series and i really do want to play the second one it's just and again man i i, I just got my 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 fix from borderlands too for a little while so i'm kind of good for a little while still so no you're, Dude, and that's... you're gonna well, go ahead joe I was gonna say, as much as I as much as I love multiplayer Borderlands, my love of zombies conquers all when it comes to first-person shooters. But if that's I'm gonna, where if the a... island of Doctor Zed is gonna come in. But why am I gonna do that when it's added content versus Left 4 Dead, where it's that's what the game is? Stop it! You know, I don't want to pick it up at launch. <laughs> listen, there was a lot of there was a lot of stink going on because you know you, you played Half Life Two. Joe's played Half-Life oh, yeah. 2. We've all, we, we all wanted Half-Life 2 Episode 3, yes. but instead Valve gave us Left 4 Dead 2, and a lot of people are arguing, oh, it's, you know, it could have just been an expansion or it could have been downloadable content, whatever. I've played this game for a bit, and they have it, – it's quite possibly the best written game I've ever played. Like it, it really is. Like you just sit there and like I'll sit in the safe room and listen to them just banter on with each other, and it is it's the most damn entertaining thing I've ever done in in, in any game. Period. I mean, I could I could say it with a hundred percent confidence. Bastards. No, I mean, you, you can buy it on launch. I'll be honest with you. I'm probably not gonna get it tomorrow. I'll probably get it. You know, whenever paychecks decide to randomly, you know, fucking fall out of my ass, but. Well, as soon as I do get it, I'm going to put a lot more. Like, I got a bunch of footage I'm recording off the demo, and I've been playing the demo until my hard drive's going to melt. But it's 
it's it's definitely something you're going to hear a lot from me about on this show, especially the uh, the in between because this is a progressive story. You know, mm-hmm. like Left 4 Dead One was just four individual little episodes. Left 4 Dead Two literally is if you finish the first campaign on a boat. And then the next campaign starts with you getting off the boat in your next new little area. And it just keeps going and going and going like that. Which is good because they listened to the, the audience and they listened to their gamer base and they said, well, you know, they really want to have the same characters progress. So, OK, let's make the same characters progress. We can do that. And, uh, yeah, I've already pre-ordered my copy on Steam. Ah, you so. bastards. <laughs> Fine, That's why I'm drinking beer out of the that's why I'm drinking beer out of a can this week, folks, because I pre-ordered <laughs> Left for Dead. All we right. We have to choose between food, drink, and gaming. We have problems. <laughs> I, I have to choose between painkillers and Left for Dead 2, so I guess I'll be picking up Left for Dead 2 and just limping for a while. Um, moving on from there, it, it's been an interesting week with little tidbits coming out as well for Guild Wars 2, where they're saying that the beta may be coming out in 2010 for that sucker, with the game then being released in 2011. The problem that I'm having right now, as much as I loved the first Guild Wars, is this is NC Soft, and I go. still this have a one. very, very bad taste in my mouth right now, so I'm having a hard time. I was very excited for Guild Wars 2. I mean, I've been, this is like D3 for Christ's sake. This is like, they've been announcing this sucker since 2007. They've been talking about Guild Wars 2. To think that there's a beta that it would be out that early, I would love to play the beta for it. But again, I've got such a bad taste in my mouth right now for NCSoft that I'm having a hard time getting excited for this. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, right. I didn't mean to, to interrupt there what you were going on, man. But yeah, that's... I I sworn off the company. I, I have no faith whatsoever <laughs> in that company. Because you know what? Here's the best part. Aside from the whole Ion thing... I was like talking about it with with my buddy mascot who also writes on the site and does you know some his own personal writing and whatnot. He was like, "Yeah, didn't you replace City of Heroes?" I'm like, "No, I never played City of Heroes." Yeah, play City play City of Heroes. The game is nothing but a grind fest, oh, and yeah. then it got patched in where you can make your own maps. And the only maps that anybody ever made, like the only scenarios that anybody ever made, were scenarios that made it easier to do group farming and grinding. And the lineage two is populated almost entirely by nothing but bots. The bots pay the subscriptions to keep the game going. So, you know, it's the, I, I have no faith in NCSoft. And you played Guild Wars 1. I never did. It looked like a, a good game. Guild Wars actually was a good game. It actually still is, too. Guild Wars is one of those games where I think that if somebody has not played it and they're looking for a game and they maybe they can't afford an MMO or whatever and they, they just want something, to play through Nightfall, especially, which was the second expansion, is actually a wonderful gaming experience. The quest lines are fantastic. The gameplay is great. The um, it, It's a beautiful game. You get a team as well that you control. So yeah, Night, uh, um, well, Nightfall, but Guild Wars, the first one, is a fantastic game. It's not without its faults, though. And part of the faults that it has are also based on... I mean, you see them in in Ion. That invisible wall that you get in Ion is the same goddamn thing that you get in Guild Wars, which I hate. I hate. Like, some people don't mind that imaginary wall. I hate it. 
I like that in WoW, if I jump off a cliff that's 200 feet off the goddamn ground, I'm going to go kersplat on the bottom and die. But it was my choice. The invisible walls in Guild War are there, and they're really, really annoying. And it's something that you found in... Um, in Ion, which I was hoping would not be there. To me, it's a design thing where if you have, if you're designing a world, you're designing a world, which means design all aspects of it so that you can traverse it all. But that's not well, what they, they cut, do. They cut, they, t- they cut a lot. Now, while was not above this, they cut the corners with the in the air, which is why you have so many problems with why it took so long for what they're doing with Cataclysm, where you'll be able to finally have your flying mounts. So there's a certain degree of cutting corners, which is acceptable in my opinion. However, I think that the cutting corners that they do with the, again, the, the pathing is what it's called, uh, that NT- NCSoft really does a lot of, like with their games, bothers me immensely and it's something again that pisses me off with ion and i'm afraid we're going to see the same thing with guild wars 2 it you wouldn't think it's a big thing but when you're walking around and you hit an invisible wall it kind of is i am not excited in the least for guild wars 2 like even before my uh hatred for nc soft before ion made me want to like scream bloody murder and stab something in the face um i wasn't excited for it i don't know why i just i i looked at it and i just i couldn't i just i couldn't get into it i just i couldn't really feel excited with everything else that's coming out with all these other games that are going to be around i mean they're talking they're talking about 2011 i mean what is going to be happening in 2011 i mean are we going to still give two shits about this game i'm no. i'm not looking forward to it at all i think it's i think the i think ncsoft is going to have another flop on their hands and i i played guild wars one for the first the first release and you know i wasn't really too happy with it personally i just never clicked with me so i don't know maybe i just put a, a taste in my mouth that i just can't get rid of with tequila um, but I'm just not looking forward to Guild Wars 2 at all. Well, it is something wherein, again, it's it's it depends on how much you played it and which expansions you played as well. I did find that the first expansion, like most people, I actually did not enjoy. But then when you had um, Nightfall came out, it did make a huge difference and they improved on a lot of things. I, I still do want to play, but the point that you're making wherein look at what's coming out in 2010 that we're going to be able to play well that kind of says it all right there i mean we're going to have the option of playing something completely different like um star trek online which is going to be a huge departure from most mmos um and even a departure from stuff like eve online and then you're going to have other games coming out at the same time, whether it's your StarCraft 2 or your Cataclysm as well, which is going to draw some of us back to WoW. There's a lot of things that are going to be coming out, which is which to me means they should be looking ahead and planning ahead for things that they haven't yet told us about. And part of that curiosity is what's driving me to still be a little interested in this. I mean, 2011 for a release, they've got a have some very innovative things planned because otherwise it's going to flop same as when we're looking at i mean there was that screenshot that was released this week we're in um uh 
from the Blizzard convention where they were talking about, you know, 2009, 2010, and then the next few years, and Diablo 3 falls into the next few years. So we're not going to see that baby for a while yet. Well, by then, fuck, the Torchlight MMO might very well be out by then. So, like, you got to wonder just how much they're planning ahead and what they're going to be putting into it. Well, just about the the investors when they they had the investors and went up for Activision Blizzard and then the guy from Activision said all that stuff about we're happy with Blizzard's properties. This is our plan for the future to continue making money so you guys can continue bathing in, in Benjamins, right? Is that where that sucker was? I can't remember now. I, I think so. Yeah, it's the, the next couple of years is pretty much a fancy way of saying it's it's a fiscal way of saying 2011. Oh yeah, 2011 so, or potentially later. You're right, though, as far as a Torchlight MMO, like even Kiki said, I'm kind of hoping that it has, I mean, I, I want to give these guys, Runic Games, they even announced, not announced, but they were they were interviewed, I think this was even in the show notes earlier, but um, that they're kind of taking a little bit of a break, you know, they're going to, we're going to give ourselves a break for however long, you know, we need to, you know, get energy back and then we're going to go and we're going to focus nothing but the MMO, so, you know, maybe Diablo 3 will come out when the torchlight mmo is in beta when there's enough hype going on that i don't know man blizzard really has to start pushing diablo 3 i think their next big push is going to be starcraft 2 that's just I, my well the thing that i'm going to be interested too within the next few years though is going to be the announcement of the uh the secret mmo the new ip that they've been working on for two years now um i really am wondering when that's going to pop up so when they start talking about the next few years, yeah, they're, they're pushing their current IPs like Diablo and StarCraft. And those are going to be well and good, but, I mean, eventually those are going to grow stale. And as much fun as we have with them, I mean, there's there's only so much you can do um, before you need to have something new out there, something that's going to be groundbreaking or something that's going to captivate an audience that, you know, was previously untapped. I mean, I, I go through cycles personally where I go through my fantasy fi- my fantasy fixes, and then every now and then I have to get the sci-fi in there or I go a little stir-crazy. It's the same thing with MMOs. A lot of people seem to work in this, this sort of cycle. So I'm kind of interested to see, you know, when Torchlight hits, when the Torchlight MMO hits, um, when we start seeing Star Wars Online, when we start seeing Star Trek Online, and even when Guild Wars 2 drops, um, if we start seeing more about this IP that Blizzard Activision has been keeping under wraps for, well, pretty close tight lid on for a couple of years. So I'm wondering if that's the race in the hole. Yeah, but I mean, that's going to be, that's still pretty far off. Like we're talking, <laughs> well, they've been working on D3 since D2 was released. That's over a decade. <laughs> so really, the I, I used to be excited about the new IP until... I realize just how long it's going to be for them to release D3, which they've been working on since the release of D2. I mean, they're not working fast by any means. Like, they should be further on D3 than they are now. Well, there's well, one thing I was wondering even before Joe goes, I just wanted to get this out because maybe you guys have insight to it. When the folks from Runic Games left, because wasn't that the case that there was Blizzard North? The Diablo 2 and the Diablo 2 uh, Lord of Destruction or whatnot, and then they left. They went to go do Hellgate and Mythos and all that business, and um, that put like did, did that affect you know when they actually did start working on Diablo 3? My understanding is that put a huge crink in their plans to do Diablo 3. Like it was presented 
uh, back when Diablo 2 was still, you know, fresh and new and, and had hit the store shelves. But my understanding is that it did set Blizzard back quite a bit. But what was I was going to say is you got to wonder, though, too, how far along Blizzard actually is, how closely they're, they're holding the cards to their chest, and if they're just waiting. You know, because I mean, for a company that's constantly working on it and constantly growing and constantly hiring uh, new talent for all these different projects, you gotta you gotta think they're further along than they're letting you that they're letting out. Yeah, too. that's something that's... I wanted to. Yeah, that, that's what I wanted to mention, man. It's very typical. I would not be in the least bit surprised if Blizzard suddenly comes out and says, "Hey, here's our new MMO they're working on," and they've got a fully functioning website, forums, community base testers alpha testers the whole bit and they're like here you know we've got ourselves the most polished beta you're going to ever play and they just destroy any kind of you know presumption and as far as d3 i don't know if you guys i, I mean when i was at blizzcon the first year i played it i was like this is crap you know I, mm -hmm. at blizzcon 2008 i played the little alpha build they had the demo build and was like this is diablo 2 with better graphics i'm not impressed when i played it this year I was floored. I went back in the line and played it again. I was there for like an hour and a half just in awe at what they've done with it. And I've been following them on Twitter, and they just keep going, we just finalized Act 1, now we're working on such and such. And it's just very, very interesting what you mentioned. And maybe they are playing it very close, and they're just doing what Blizzard typically does, you know, where they release Halloween masks of Worgen and Goblin, and then finally, hey, Worgen and Goblin are the new races. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't put anything past these guys. Well, and that's the other thing, too, is they've showed us in the past that they're very well thought out with their marketing and their placement as far as, you know, getting people excited about things. I mean, if uh, companies out there that really know their audiences, Bioware, I will say that Blizzard does know it, and hell, even after Activision and they merged and became this giant monstrosity, even they still know how to get people excited about it. And if you have a finished product, I mean, this is just from a business standpoint, if you have a finished product and you know there's going to be competition out, um, you wait. You hold on to it until you know that you can cash in on the fever because you don't want to put it out there and then all of a sudden have somebody else cash in and, and eclipse you. And that's something Blizzard's always been really good about. I mean, yes, they're the 9,000-pound the gorilla of the gaming industry when it comes to, like, MMOs and stuff like that. But, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Okay, Roger needs to go get a drink according to the camera thing. Is that right? It's uh, somewhat empty. I don't know if you've right. noticed. It is somewhat <laughs> empty. It's... Uh... It's devoid of drink. So, yes, it is time for a break, folks. We'll be back in uh, like two, three minutes to so take your break, go fill your drinks, and come back, and we'll be right back, and we'll go from there. Oh, but I wanted to keep talking with Joe. You know what? Then keep talking. I don't give a rat's ass. I'm going to go <laughs> fill my drink. I wasn't talking anyways. I said what I had to say. So I'm going to go and fill my drink. You guys can keep on going, and then we'll go from there. And we're back for the lore. <laughs> the boys have been chatting up a storm, but we're going to move ahead much. from there. Um, just a couple of quick little news items before we move on to a little actual wow news. Um, one being that uh, Dante is uh, going to be getting an early demo in December, which I'm assuming probably excites the hell out of you, Joe. I... I am very excited for the game, and you know because my character choices tend to be around Dante-esque characters, and, and that happens to be one of my uh, online handles for a very, very long time. Um, I'm excited to see a game based around Dante's Infernal take birth, and 
this right now, like getting an early glimpse of it, is really exciting. Um, I, I can't wait to see this game drop. I can't wait to see. I mean, it feels a lot currently just from looking at it. Um, it feels a lot like maybe God of War, but I think that it's going to be a very interesting, epic story. Um, it's going to have intense gameplay and action. It's going to be something that, you know, you go from the gates of hell to heaven and everything in between. I mean, how the fuck can you go wrong with that? You want to know what's funny? Real quick, it was funny you even mentioned that. It's that Dante's Inferno is one of the only reasons I would buy a 360. And I can't even freaking play it until, like, my kids go to bed. And my wife wants to have no part of watching Baby Killing and the horrible shit that goes on in that game. But I am foaming at the mouth to play this game. Mm. Yeah, it does look good. Plus, they're actually putting quite a bit in the demo as well by the sound of it. I'm surprised that we're going to be getting a demo this early. I actually would not have thought that we'd see anything until 2010, much closer to release, actually. Because they're doing, what is it, the the entire first act, is it not, that they're doing? Yeah, they're doing the, uh, the, cr- the first act of Crashing the Gates of Hell. Yeah, so like they're putting quite a bit in there. It's going to be interesting to see. Plus, it's going to give people a really good taste of what the or a bad taste of what the game will entail. So yeah, definitely looking forward to it. Um, the other thing that I wanted to touch on too this week, uh, Torchlight, the, the the Running Boys released Torched, the modding editor for Torchlight. I actually installed it. I haven't done a lot of playing with it. However, there are sites being entirely set up right now on just the modding community to be able to allow you to do a lot in terms of develop your own quests, your own dungeons and everything. It's uh, it's being very well received. People are loving it. So I, I really am looking forward to trying it. I don't know if actually you boys are, try- are going to give it a shot or not. I actually was downloading it at the time that the show began. <laughs> I have it downloaded. I've opened it and fooled around with it. And maybe it's just because I'm not the most technical person, but man, I am completely lost as to how in the hell to do anything with the editor. And I've been researching online. I can't, I can't find anything that's in English. You, you, you couldn't forward your ports in Borderlands for Borderlands. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, what like, chance well, do you have with this? Well, well, listen, that's the thing, man. So when, when I heard, oh, it's a world editor, I thought, oh, well, I've done the StarCraft editor and I've done this editor and that editor. I'm thinking, okay, well, this has got to be, there's going to be a drop-down list with a bunch of all the different palettes and whatnot, and I can just go play with it Photoshop style. And it's nothing at all like that. No, it is fairly robust, is what I've found, which is a, a pro and a con. I mean, it's pro in that you can do a lot with it. It's a con in that it's going to put off a lot of people that would have given it a shot. It's not the very simple um, Little Big Planet kind of level editor kind of thing. There's a lot to it, which is kind of nice. Like my son and I have been discussing it and see, I'm seeing a lot of potential with Torchlight and, and I know I've mentioned that little game a lot, but I've got a lot of respect for these guys and not just since the interview. I just, I like what they're doing and they know what they're doing. And so when you come up with a game like that and you come up with a fairly sound premise for the world, excuse me, and then you start thinking about, okay, well, they're planning on an MMO. Part of what I want to be doing, which you're going to see later on in the show as well with my fan fiction piece, which is based in the Torchlight world, is... Well, that gives me an opportunity to play because my imagination runs wild. So here's a chance for me to think about what a world could be like based on that universe. Well, you can take some of that and put it in using 
the editor if you have the time and the skill, which I really, really like. I think it's good, too, because, I mean, you get game enthusiasts like myself who want to break into, you know, the gaming industry and give me the entire set of tools that essentially you guys use uh, to play around with the world and see what I can make. That's great. I mean, that's something that is not ever present in gaming and I think should be. And it's a good way to gauge whether or not some people can do the work for themselves. It's your portfolio. Exactly. I mean, yeah, we have our we have our portfolios for things that we've drawn and written and things like that. But um, I was talking with one of my buddies at work who is going to school for this and actually is working on getting internships right now. And everything he's done has been within um, somebody else's engine because that's what they're looking for. Because you're not going to be the guy that makes the tools they use. I mean, you might if that's what you want to do. But most of the times you're going to be inside working with the tools that have given to you to create something wonderful. And being able to do that with the guy with Runic Games, having them put essentially everything in the kitchen sink into a free downloadable package and then offering documentation, really in-depth documentation. Like if you go to their forums and uh, OMG uh, posted about this in the chat channel, absolutely right. You go to their forums, you can download really in-depth PDFs that they have compiled for you to go through and learn about it before you even touch the system and you can spend a good day reading all this stuff and getting your bearings straight and that's exciting to me it's exciting to have that much power for a game given to me for free <laughs> and yeah. saying here go have fun yeah it's yeah. kind of a crash course developer right it is it really is i mean and that's what my uh my buddy dan at work that's what he said he said he looked at the uh the torch editor and he said wow this is the same shit i'm using for the xna and having helped program and, and do the stuff with the xna yeah, I mean, same thing. And it, it is. It is a crash course in being a developer. You're essentially in your own little cubicle of your making designing something. And again, here we have a – and I, I've been really having fun with this. We have this world that they created, but they didn't create the whole world. They created the concepts of what the world could be kind of thing. And then they give you the tools to make it happen from there. And so you already know, listen, we're working on this, but we're going to be working on the MMO, which is going to be a much larger scale. So now your imagination as a writer starts going off on all all cylinders thinking, okay, well, there could be this, there could be this, there could be this. How can I make this happen in the world and how can I do this? And here are the tools to make it happen, folks. You can create your own quest. You can do everything kind of thing. So, yeah, no, I, I have not played enough with it. But what I've been doing is actually um, my youngest son and I have been designing our own little torchlight world, literally mapping it out. And we're taking these these steps towards what we would do in the same way that I would write a story. I'm looking at that in terms of how I would create um, the world, the zones, the classes, the different things kind of thing. And we're having a blast with it. So, yeah. So if you have any interest whatsoever in modding, whether it's just a laying down a dungeon to have some fun in or whether it's an actual take it a little bit further and see just how much you can do with it. Make sure to, te- to, to check it out. It's on the Torchlight site. Um, moving on from there, we're going to finally touch on WoW because Joe had a lot of shit that he wanted to talk about, about the legendary weapons. It's something that you were asked about in Twitter, I recall. And I was saying, you know what, why not just talk about it on the show? 
And yeah, actually, it was uh, Gracier who, yep. uh, who and I, he and I were having a few exchanges about legendary weapons. And it's an interesting thing because legendary weapons are more than just the ultimate item in the game of WoW. A lot of times they're very lore centric. Um, let's go back to Vanilla WoW where you have things like Sulfurous Hand of Ragnaros. Um, that is lore centric. It's created from the essence of Ragnaros infused into a, a hammer constructed by his, you know, using what his followers would do. And it's interesting to see that scale down and put into a player's hands. And, you know, it was the top dog of DPS for a while, but it was very story centric. Um, again, also in Vanilla WoW, Thunder, the, the Thunder Fury, an epic storyline that allowed you to learn more about the world. Uh, it was immersive in a very long, complicated series of quests and item gathering that ultimately paid off with you getting to see one of the elemental lieutenants which is part of the creation story of wow and i thought that was very good then you move into burning crusade where the legendary items were kind of not very lore centric as much more than they just dropped from certain people it wasn't very epic feeling then we move into wrath first legendary item for wrath is well the Valinir Hammer of Kings, which people don't really realize is also very lore-centric. It's a Titan-made unit, and that is, again, the storyline leading up to it, all the stuff you read while you're getting it, and all the stuff in the quest line that you do read, while it is just gathering stuff from an instance and then doing a very hard boss to get it, the story itself is you know, it's very integral to the creation story of WoW and the races. And now we have another legendary weapon, Shadowmourne, which is being brought into the game for Icecrown. Again, also very lore-centric, because you have Frostmourne, you have this iconic weapon of the Lich King, this item of immense evil and power, and then you have another item to rival it, essentially, being crafted by the players. And what's interesting to me is in Vanilla WoW and in Wrath, you have these epic stories, these epic quests that allow you to realize the importance of these items. I mean, and there are certain non-legendary items that I would qualify as legendary. The Quell Delar quest, which you get to see the background of not only just dragon magic, but how it interacted with humans and its story and how it affected the world and everything that led up to it. And even if you want to go back to... Um, Vanilla WoW, the Corrupted Ashbringer, very lore-centric pieces. So I think it's interesting to us to see as gamers in a game that is, well, for on the border of growing stale, them using these as story pieces like they should be and being pushed up. And they are really rich items. And I think it's cool to be able to see an item and a quest and a driving factor. Yes, I want this badass weapon. Yes, I want this badass staff like Atesh from Nexramas. You know, but they're all very story centric, and I think that's pretty cool too because it allows you to um, pull the gamers into the story that you, of the world that you've created. And I think that's really important. I think that we're going to see more of it with more releases. Like I think they realized their mistake with Burning Crusade, and which oh, here's just items. There's no backstory for them. Have fun, and then now we have to actually craft the weapons and put them back together and learn about them as we're doing it. So I think it's pretty cool, and I think it's something that. Um, if people haven't had a chance to even, you know, not necessarily get it themselves, but just look into it, you know? To say that I've enjoyed Dragon Age Origins would be the kind of understatement that one would expect of an addict. 
the game has consumed me entirely. Bioware has created a world so rich and profound that if you allow yourself to become immersed in its lore, and honestly you've little choice in the matter, you'll find yourself striving to finish each quest, not in the hopes of completing the game, but rather to save lives, to defeat the darkspawn, to vanquish evil. These are not pixelated fairy tales, not after you've been playing for several hours. Alistair is as much a comrade in arms as your imagination will allow him to become. And this is where Bioware shines, for they've gifted us with a game that can allow you to feel this way. Let's take a look at the basic lore, and then we'll move on and we'll talk about the gameplay. Although before you continue listening, know that this review will contain a lot of spoilers. But before we even start on that though, let's touch on the character creation. Your story begins in one of six ways, depending on how you create your character. You have the option of being a human, an elf, or a dwarf. Now from these options, you can choose to become a warrior, a mage, or a rogue. And later on, you can even specialize, as an example, a warrior can specialize as a Templar. Lastly, certain combinations of race class have different origins, example being that the elves can be servants or from a Dalish clan. Now your choices here will influence the game in terms of how NPCs will treat you as well as what choices you have when you're interacting with them. It'll also lead you down chains of quests which may not be available to other race class origin characters. Couple this along with the fact that your choices have a huge impact on where the story will lead you and you can see how this game has a lot of replayability. I've started three characters so far, though my main has become a human mage who is specializing as a spirit healer. She often, often makes the right choices in wanting to be noble and true. Now that being said though, I can't wait to start another mage, though this time take her down the dark blood magic path. She's going to be twisted, evil, and corrupt, and like I said on the podcast, I want her to be the kind of character that would make Morgan say, that was wrong what you just did there. Shortly after wandering into Ferelden for the first time, you'll meet up with Duncan, a Grey Warden. Duncan is noble and unwavering. I've met up with him three times now on all of my characters, and I have to say that on the last, I actually smiled when he entered the story. I learned to respect him and for all that he stands for. The Grey Wardens feel there's another blight that's coming, and they want to prepare everyone for the oncoming dark, dark Swan. Now, upon completing the joining ceremony, wherein you become a Grey Warden, you realize that Duncan lives by the Grey Warden's code, which is by any means necessary. If you've allowed yourself to become engrossed in the tale up until this point, this will change how you feel about your place in the story. You may start to excuse your behavior when forced to make difficult choices. I mean, if Duncan could so easily take a life, then you should be able to bend or break your own moral code of ethics. You may take it too far, relying on the code, as did the Wardens at Soldier's Peak. Or you may choose to stand firm in your beliefs and not be influenced by this code. It's a very fine line, though, I'll have you know. A case in point, fairly early in the game, you'll be forced to make a very difficult choice at Redcliffe Castle. A boy has been possessed, and your choices are either to kill the boy, travel to the Circle of Magi to get enough lyrium for the spell that will allow you to enter the Fade to, be, to battle the demon that's possessing him, or allow Jowen to use blood magic for his spell, which will drain the life from the boy's mother. There's no easy choice here. Traveling back to the circle will take time, time that you don't have. That said, the boy is very dangerous, not only because of the possession, but also because he's a conduit for the Darkspawn. He's a mage and an untrained one. 
And then you have to factor in the mother, who is responsible for trying to keep the boy hidden, or rather his magic abilities. And in so doing, she's partially to blame for much of the mess at the castle. She's the one who offers herself to save her child, and it's because of that that I actually chose to sacrifice her for the blood magic spell, and I saved the son. Now, I have four kids of my own, and as a parent, I know that I would give my life in an instant to save any one of them. Furthermore, if their life were in danger because of my actions, I would want to do whatever was necessary to save them as quickly as possible. So I allowed that part of myself to influence my decision in the game, and it made it that much more profound than a simple quest should have been in a game. Later when Alistar confronted me about my choice, I stood firm by what I'd chosen to do, even though my character wouldn't have had the same history as me upon which to make that choice, still I knew that I'd made the right choice. Alistar isn't that fond of my little mage sometimes, but that's the part that makes this game succeed on so many levels. Now, if you think you're home free after saving the boy, you, can't, you best think again. This is another thing which I'm loving about Dragon Age Origins. It's epic in nature. Each questline takes you on an unbelievable journey, and just when you're thinking you must be getting close to finishing the game, you realize that you've only just scratched the surface. Upon saving the boy, you find that you have to go get Andraste's ashes to heal the Arl. This long questline ends with the Arl waking, however, where one questline ends, another three open up, and this ripple effect is felt throughout the, each gaming session. Now, side quests exist everywhere, and many further the story along, but if nothing else, they give you a lot of backstory so as to feel a part of Ferelden. In much the same way that you'd stop and speak to people throughout your day, this game encourages you to do the same with your character, and in fact it rewards such actions. Now, in terms of gameplay, Dragon Age Origins has taken concepts as old as those used in Baldur's Gate, tossed in some new game mechanics, and blended together a variety of genres to create something that feels both familiar and fresh. You won't be wasting your time reading quests in this game as you do in most RPGs. Instead, you'll take part in quest cinematics where voice actors, and, and damn good ones, interact with your character. You're then given choices based on your character and everything they've been through thus far. How you answer will impact the game from that point forward each time you answer your quests. The game is designed in such a way that there are consequences to your actions, to your choices, which creates a weight to each choice. Do you really want to ask for a request for a reward each time and appear greedy, or are you going to be more no noble in your pursuit of justice? Do you want to spill the blood uh, into Andraste's ashes and reap the rewards, or will you show respect for the deity and only take that pinch to heal the Arl? Choices like this will be presented constantly in this game, and rarely are they minor inconsequential matters. Most times they're fairly dire choices, and this is what roots you into that world. When not progressing through the story via these cinematics, you'll be traveling through different zones, castle dungeons with your party. Now, a variety of characters will join your team, each with their own reason, and you'll have your choice to bring different ones along with you based on their strengths and their relationship with you. You can bring up to three characters with you. The thing to note here is that you can choose to set your characters up via the tactics screen so that you have very little involvement during battles, or you can micromanage your team during fights, pausing often and switching between characters to, to, to direct them. 
in especially difficult batters, battles, you have very little choice but to do this. An important thing to note also is that depending on the difficulty level you choose for your characters, you may have no choice but to micromanage. This means being very selective about their spells, configuring each spell bar as you would as if you were playing that class. You have to be able to swap weapons quickly when needed, needed on any character, assign potions, spells, crowd control, etc. This is not an MMO dungeon run where you can just stand there and hit a single macro button repeatedly. You have to know all of your classes, all of their abilities, their placement in fights, who should fight which target, etc. Some fights require several tries before winning even. Some fights, such as those goddamn revenant bastards, may require as many as 8 or 9 attempts. However, when you finally kill the son of a bitch, it feels very rewarding. Equally re rewarding, though sometimes maddening, are the puzzles sprinkled here and there throughout the Ferelden. Some will have you stepping on stones in order to create a solid pathway over a gap in a path, whereas others will have you sipping water from a jug on an altar, or some will have you moving tiles around to make fire jump along. The, the puzzles aren't difficult for the most part, however, some require quite a bit of trial and error. Some, such as the Goth's pathway, may even require some diagram sketches on a scrap piece of paper. The puzzles fit into the story though. You don't necessarily feel as though you're being yanked out of the experience. Instead, you're being made to feel as if you're being challenged and actually have to use your wits. As for the downloadable content, at launch, BioWare had a couple of DLCs available and fully integrated into the game. The Stone Prisoner, which gives you a small zone to explore, including the Mage's Lair, rewards you with the Golem character, whom you can add to your team as a warrior. The content doesn't take that long to complete, however, the value of this DLC is its lasting use if you choose to add Shale to your team. He makes a very good addition and has interesting useful spells. Also, because he doesn't use weapons and armor, but rather crystal, it adds a different dynamic when equipping him. Now, the Warden's Keep was also released at launch, and this one contains a little more in terms of the time frame needed to complete it. However, it too falls under the same value mode as the Stone Prisoner, in that the added value is in the fact that you're going to use the keep from then on in lieu of the campsite. That being said, I thoroughly enjoyed this DLC. I love the lore behind it with the visions from the past. It was very engaging, and with my next character, whom I've already decided is going to be a Blood Mage, I'll have a little added bonus there as well. What I enjoyed about these DLC items was just how integrated into the game they were. Bioware has a two-year plan for Dragon Age Origins, which will include more DLC, so I'm very curious as to how they will measure up, but if these two are any indication, I've got nothing to worry about. Dragon Age Origins is definitely not for everyone. Ironically, however, I haven't spoken to a single person who's tried it and not immediately fallen in love. Now, maybe it's because those who would not have enjoyed it knew from the reviews and from the videos that they wouldn't, it wouldn't suit them, and so they never bothered picking it up. However, as an RPG player, you owe it to yourself to pick this game up. The depth of the game is dizzying. It's the first game in a long time where there are very real consequences to your actions, and each choice affects your experience from then on. You play through the game because it's so absolutely engrossing. You play through it a second time because it is that addicting.
Cain was the first man ever to strike down another. And when the Lord came to him and said, what have you done? Cain could not hide his crime, for the voice of his brother's blood cried out from the very ground. Modern Warfare 2. In recent memory, I cannot think of a single game that has been this hyped, this anticipated. And of course, the question on everybody's mind is, does it live up to expectations? No, it doesn't meet expectations. It exceeds them. Believe it or not, this game is even better than I thought it was going to be. It takes everything we love about the first game. The cinematic storytelling of the campaign. The amazing multiplayer that raised the bar across the board for games like this. It takes all of that, multiplies it by 10, puts hot fudge and whipped cream on top, and has naked ladies dancing next to it. It is that much more amazing. This being for the lore, what we really want to focus on is the story. The campaign mode is intense in this game. Yes, the story is a little hard to follow. Imagine taking an entire series of 24, smashing it down into six hours, and then asking Michael Bader to direct it. There's double crosses, there's triple crosses, there's plot twists. Half the time you don't even know who the real bad guy is. But it's fun. You keep wanting to play mission after mission to get all that story in. This isn't an RPG. You can't draw out the gameplay experience to fit more story in. It doesn't work for a shooter. If you draw out the gameplay in a shooter, you become the first Halo, running through the same endless corridors over and over again just to get a little more polish on that story. In this game, it's the exact opposite. It's fast-paced. In a shooter, you want fast-paced action. You want to be jumping from one mission type to another. You want to be busting in rescuing hostages. You want to be racing snowmobiles. You want to be stealth sniper missions. If you do the same thing too many times, it becomes stale and it becomes unfun. So yeah, the story is a little hard to follow, but guess what? If you can't follow it, it gives you a reason to play through it again. I want to play through the game again. It was too much fun to only play once. One thing to take out of this game is that Soap McTavish is ten times the man you will ever be. Soap rocks that mohawk and lives up to it. I cannot wait until the next Modern Warfare where I get to play with Soap again. No, no, no. Not as Soap. Because playing as Soap, he's only as cool as I make him. I want to be fighting alongside him again. I want to see him jumping out of windows. I want to see him tackling dudes into cars. I want to see him suplexing terrorists in the middle of the street. I want to be Soap McTavish when I grow up. Of course, one thing that we can't ignore about this game is all the controversy surrounding it. This is going to be a bit of a spoiler for some of you out there, but I can't discuss it without ruining something of the story. It's only the third mission of the game, so you're really not missing much by learning about it. About a week before the game released, some footage surfaced online showing this airport mission where you as the player are going through killing innocent people. Yeah, it's a little intense. When I first played this mission, 
walked into this airport, and these dudes just opened fire. People dropped left and right. They killed dozens of people within a few seconds. And I had to stop for a moment and really think. It was a very intense experience. What the hell are these dudes doing? But then I thought about it. This isn't pure fiction. This is the type of thing that happens around the world. Bad people do bad things. And I have to give Infinity Ward credit for showing us this. Because it's kind of an eye-opener. You're not just watching it. You're living it. You are this CIA operative who has been inserted into this terrorist cell. So that's what I did. I role-played as the CIA agent. I went through the entire mission, never shot a single innocent person. I sprayed some bullets around, shot some TV, shattered some glass, make it look real nice for the boss, but never killed a single person. The only time I shot back was when my own life was in danger. It was a very cool experience. And you know what? After seeing all these people dead, which I will say the body count may have been a little excessive, but that's not for me to decide. After seeing all these people dead, I didn't just want to play the next mission for the heck of it. I wanted to play this next mission because I wanted to track this guy down. He was just responsible for the death of countless innocent people. I wanted to hunt him down. I wanted to bring him to justice. I was now involved in the story. There is no greater praise I can give a game than actually putting me emotionally into the story. Yeah, if it's a little too much, you can choose to skip the mission. But honestly, I would encourage anyone to play it. Because it really sets this game apart from anything I've ever seen before. This isn't Grand Theft Auto, where you're killing people just for the hell of it because they're in your way. This actually has weight and depth to it. So, thank you for the lore. This is Vince, signing off. Everybody in the audience, thanks for coming out. Don't forget, 6.45 p.m. Eastern Time next week. We don't have an agenda. There are no show notes. It's just going to be a drunken... Hopefully, laugh out loud episode where we're having a blast and just shooting the shit about games, about our experiences in game. There's bound to be a certain amount, knowing us, a certain amount of rage going on. There's going to be some <laughs> games that we're going to bring up saying, Oh my God, do you guys remember when? And we're all going to touch on shit that we've all experienced. So it should be fun to listen to. Make sure to tune in next week and we'll talk to you guys later. Later, guys. Origin. Wow. Suck it. Actually, I guess I should bring in Ricky. Eh? Yeah, it might be a good idea. <laughs> Hold on a He's really, Why are they not fighting me? Are they talking without me? We're not broadcasting, so he wouldn't be able to tell. <laughs> <laughs> we should, actually, I'm going to start broadcasting. Hold on a second.
Kiki's in the house. Oh, hey, she joined us. She was able to put Dragon Age down long enough to, to listen. That's because she knows we're going to be talking about it. So that's oh, of course. basically it. Thank you. I'm, I'm thinking he, either that or he's just fuming. Just fuming. When are One those or the other. pricks going to call? Oh, <laughs> screw it. I'll just add him to the conference. <laughs> no, he's not going to answer. Fine, I'm not answering your call. Screw you guys would make my own podcast with hookers and blackjack. Actually, shit, that sounds great. Actually, he could probably find a whole host of Mr. Moms that he could do a show with. Probably. That'd be awesome. The they got Mr. Mom show. They got nothing else to do. So, I mean, it would give them something to, to, to do. You hear that, Enrique? Answer my call, damn it. Like the, the program I use separates my stream from both of yours. Because we don't want to mm -hmm. cross streams. That'd be bad. <laughs> No, I, I had I had curry. I've had curry once or twice, like Indian food curry, and oh no, 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 no. But then you think about John Pinette, the, the comedian, who said it's like a Japanese bullet train coming out. <laughs> I'm trying to like I didn't bring up any of the jokes. I'm trying to avoid the talk of what's going to happen to your ass after the curry and after the oh, chili. Oh, fire, uh, fire! But oh, it's no. worth it. Uh -oh. <laughs> no. It's so bad. He's going to be crying himself to sleep later. Oh, you got to make sure that you have a really good seal on the toilet because otherwise it splashes and shoots right back up and actually hits the back of your head. Yeah, and it's like you eat it at a restaurant, you're driving home, it's like a race with the devil, right? Yep. <laughs> That's I... why you keep a paper bag uh -huh. with you. Oh, dude. <laughs> 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 Super absorbent kind. <laughs> I kept waiting for some gray-haired guy to show up and say, "You shall not pass." Wrong game. I know. I'm like, I'm all envious of Joe's. Like, wow, you have money to buy it in a can? Shit, I'm drinking it out of a paper cup. Because you guys won't stop freaking flating each other long enough for me to get a word in edgewise. Please! We, apparently you don't need a word in edgewise, all you gotta do is fart. I stretched. That was you know not what? a stretch. Brother, the drunk That was not- Oh, something stretched. I know something stretched. <laughs> Pretty wide is what I'm saying. <laughs> Hey, Yuri joined us. Fuck you, Yuri. <laughs> you goddamn bastard. I think I think Malwart was just going deaf. He's got to take the dick out of his ear. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking, how would you be able to bring another woman back to your place? But then I guess you really don't have that problem. I'm like, just open. God damn it, open you. But some stuff is like when you're fighting one of these fucking revenant bastard son of a bitch cocksuckers man it's like a okay go pause <laughs> okay do this 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 okay go pause <laughs> and then you set them all up and then it's like okay go pause and you keep doing that until the fight's done i cannot imagine doing that on a console on the i'm doing it on the pc and it's a breeze it's a joke but otherwise yeah no i wouldn't even hazard to do it on a console and the um 
especially when and this is on normal i mean if you were doing this shit on hard like joe's been doing oh man yeah that would be <laughs> wow i i can't wow i cannot imagine this shit on hard on a console i'd be like oh my freaking where where's the pause button on the console is it like a trigger button on the back because it'd be like trigger okay go trigger go trigger go trigger <laughs> <laughs> No rush to do nothing. Although, guess what I want to do? Play Dragon Age. <laughs> oh, dude! <laughs> <laughs> Shale, I mean, the really cool thing about Shale is you don't have to have a rogue in the group, essentially, because he can open locks, which is... But he doesn't. all fucking shit. He doesn't. I try and he never does. He never succeeds? No. Never. <laughs> nah, not one. Not. He hasn't opened a... He, uh, he's, and neither does Zev. I mean, fucking Zev is like... He couldn't lockpick his way out of a paperback I was... Paper bag I was saying today. It's like... It's... I think he's opened one goddamn lock box. And it's like... I keep seeing these lock boxes all over... Like, everywhere. And it's like... I feel like saying, none of you fucks can open it. Get out of my team. Get out of my team. Christ, I'll carry a skeleton key around with me and open shit because none of the boxes are getting open. They all suck. They all freaking suck. So, yeah, no, Shale does not open jack shit right now. <laughs> Which, That's funny. That's I don't know how funny. come. I don't I don't know how come. Like, what's, what's wrong with him? Why is he not opening? He can't open nothing he's an annoying little fuck that's he's like all sarcastic and i want to say you know what can the sarcasm until you can open a goddamn box because he can't like i mean if the 7-eleven is locked he can't get in no slurpees for anybody kiki's my freaking hero for doa doa so i'm thinking okay she knows what she's talking about so she says it can open it it can open it. Fantastic. Fire can't open anything. So I'm going like, Kiki, you lied to me. That's bad mojo. That's bad mojo. You're going to like, there's many, <laughs> many bad mojo dudes going to haunt your dreams because of that. So then Zev comes around and I'm thinking, all right, well, Zev, I know can open boxes so there you go so i got zev so I, I get zev in my party fucker can't open anything all he wants to do is get up my ass because i got a female mage and it's like nobody can open a goddamn locked chest nobody nobody it's like come on i i oh, it's a free-for-all there's a chest that's sparkling it's mine it's mine it's a gift somebody gave me the sparkly <laughs> gift thank you oh creator and i get this chest that unfortunately there's not much in them that's worth taking like uh, i'm finding that a little disappointing so that's the only saving grace here when i'm seeing shit that i can't open i'm thinking well odds are there's probably not that great of stuff in it 